We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranges McBasketball. Tim, without LeBron, without AD, Lakers, after riding the bad vibes, good vibes roller coaster, came into Boston and took a wire-to-wire wire victory over the Celtics. It was a fun game to watch. Austin regression is hitting. Fuck Boston as always. So yeah, man, we, we came together for a good Boston game. What did you think of that one and, and how are you today? I well, I'm doing better now after after that result. Before the game started, I was not, and it was a game where I mean, vibes were poor. Two losses in a row. I understand that the second game was second night of a back to back on the road, down you know several rotation players. It profiled as a loss. I understand Atlanta is not a very good team, but I understand the loss. But it still didn't look good, feel good. Same thing with Houston. You know, there are some things going on, but you, you should be able to do better in those games. And vibes at the team seem to be poor. For fans seem to be poor heading into that game. Down Braun, down AD. It wasn't just that, like, going into it, I didn't think LA had a real shot to win. People were asking questions like, are LeBron and AD protesting? <laughs> like, are they, have they quit on the team? Are they trying to are send them a trade LeBron? Are they going to trade LeBron? Are, are <laughs> the Lakers, they know they're going to lose anyway, so they might as well bench these guys and have them ready to go for New York. Like, questions were being asked that wouldn't have been asked if vibes weren't as bad as they were. And shout out to the guys who were available and went out there and put on the purple and black or whatever colors along with black that they wore. Because they they balled out, Tom. Yeah, they, they did. They they uh, was it black? We wore black against Boston, right? Or was that yes. against? Yes. Okay. They yeah. Wore those California dreaming jerseys. They're growing on me. Everyone, they're growing on me. But me too. man, what a what a win! Like down uh, the Lakers on the season when they're down three or more rotation players have been a bad basketball team, and 
for the season, all of those games have been either both or one of LeBron and AD available. This game was, you know, a worse setup than those because you're facing Boston, which is the toughest team you're going to face among those games. It was on the road. That's hard. And you're losing, you know, you're missing your top two players. And so like, wow, just wow. Like individually for a lot of guys at a team level, like really, really good work. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of fun to watch them compete, get after loose balls, get into the passing lanes, be disruptive. And you mentioned without their two stars and they missed Vando for half this game. We'll talk more about that later, but Jared Vanderbilt coming up lame on a non-contact injury and Woj reporting this morning that he's looking to be out a couple weeks. That's going to change some things as we look forward at using the Boston game to kind of look at the short term and look at the, the medium to long term as we continue to talk about the paths this team can take with only six days left till the trade deadline. It's noon on Thursday. So lots to discuss getting back to the Boston game specifically though. My favorite thing was seeing Austin ball out like that, shooting the ball. Well, he had been shooting really poorly as of late Um, after getting to that point in the season where I felt like every time he caught it and shot, it was going in to now. I never thought it was going in. He is making some deep pull-ups, 7 for 10 from 3 overall. And my favorite thing about sliding him in as that number one kind of shot maker for the team was he had no turnovers, Tim. D'Lo was in the playmaking role. Austin was in that shot-making role. And he didn't turn the ball over. He only got three assists, but he was efficient. He went out there, did his job, and it was it was good to see him not kind of get in his own way for some of the the more Austin-like plays we're used to. Yeah. What What do you think surprised you more? Austin, 32 points, 7 for 10 three-point shooting with a couple of three assists, zero turnovers? Or Jackson Hayes, 33 minutes played, double-double, zero fouls? Ooh. That's a tough one. I think that is probably more surprising because I think Austin is a, is a good basketball player. <laughs> Jackson played well. We'll give him credit. He was able to use some athleticism, getting, he got a bunch of deflections, knocking away lob attempts over the top, setting screens without mm-hmm. moving. Big ups to him. And he, we might see him re enter the rotation with uh, Vando coming out and him, you know, getting a, a month or so off to think about and talk about with the coaches how they want to execute. And he went out there and, and was a lot more disciplined for sure. Yeah. How about D'Angelo Russell, too? Five for 20 shooting, 16 points, but he had 14 assists, eight rebounds. He was in command of the offense yet again. He added two steals, only had the one turnover. Two, two of his rebounds were offensive rebounds. So, like, getting his teammates the ball, getting second chances, like, making strong decisions, impacting the game as a smaller player on the boards as well. Like, it was it was a good outing and I think it's easy for a guy to get out there and be down about a shooting performance and let that impact the other areas of his game but he fought he stayed in it and this whole team seemed locked in from start to finish the the level of energy and hustle and like credit to D'Lo as a, a leader of of the team among the available guys he and Austin balling out in very different ways but uh, you know, Dio's going to tell you it wasn't one of his better games from a from a shooting standpoint, of course. But still found ways to be 
a positive impact player for the game. And I don't know what his plus minus is. I won't look. I refuse to look. Plus, four. plus minus isn't it's it's not real. Four, I don't want to No. <laughs> Get it out of my head. Um that means he was not great. Sorry. It it doesn't mean anything, is what it means. <laughs> um, that, <laughs> um Friends don't let friends look at single game plus minus. Every time I see someone tweet about plus minus, they they say the tweet goes like this. It goes, I know single game plus minus doesn't mean anything, but and then they say something that I want to smack them for because it confirms their prior. They're I don't know, man. It, what whatever. Sorry, I'm I'm derailing things. He he That's played well. Uh Vando, as you called out, unfortunately went down to the injury. We'll we'll dig into that some more. But when he was playing in this game. Another impactful game. He hit his free throws. He hit two three-pointers, two out of three. Yeah. Uh, he had seven rebounds, 10 points overall. But, you know, just sharpshooter performance for him. And, again, yet another, like, disruptive game for him. Those units where they were, like, hedging and switching and, like, Hayes was using his mobility and there's two on the ball. So the that Boston was trying to and, and Boston doesn't really run anything and they just stand around because they're poorly coached and they're trying to like spray out to shooters and you've got guys like Vando able to like play the passing lanes and get deflections and he had three steals like he had three steals Hayes had three steals Dilo had two steals it was they played a style of energetic basketball from an X's and O's standpoint and you use that setup for players that work well within it you know, and we got some really good results. So shout out to the guys. A lot of guys really, really stepped up and played well. I know like Rui didn't have the best shooting night, but he otherwise played well. Christy uh, in, in his like off ball transition spot up stuff was effective. And, you know, him trying to ISO was not all that effective. But uh, I don't know, just top to bottom, a pretty strong performance for the team. Christian Wood, one for nine shooting was not a good game at all for him offensively. But yeah. uh He's he's continuing to fall down. He's actually below Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt now in the uh, points added half court I- efficiency stuff that I'm looking at. So at his mm-hmm. volume, at his level of efficiency relative to his shot quality, he has been a more negative impact from a scoring standpoint than those other two guys, which was not what I would have expected heading into the year. So that's a disappointing performance and, and trend for him. But, you know, great, great team result beating those those losers out east and uh big win for the season man now have wins against the the couple wins against the thunder they beat the celtics mavs several games against the clippers now some mm-hmm. so if you look at a lot of those you know over 500 teams lakers have wins against a lot of them but they also have those atlantas those houston you know games where they'll they've rolled over a couple times now in houston so it is the good vibes, bad vibes roller coaster this season. And as good as it was, you know, in Boston, those two couple games before were not great. I had to take the stream off, wasn't feeling great, doing better now, which is good. But it was painful to be sick and watch those games, to watch them quit and roll over. And yes, it is, I think who is it? Todd Whitehead puts out the, you know, most difficult four-game stretch. And this is the Lakers mm-hmm. uh, at Houston, at Atlanta at Boston at New York was their toughest four game stretch of the season. Yeah. Well, you know, we started off with a, a close too close victory against golden state on Saturday. We haven't potted since that one. That was a fun game too. So we got some exciting fun wins against, you know, rivals, if you will. And then 
just completely shot the bed against teams you would expect to be on the lower end of the the play-in race at best. So mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating. I I don't know. I want to stick with the boss game a little. And just ask how you felt in general before you saw the game with them going with Hayes over Wood in the starting lineup. That could color kind of our rotation conversation going forward. So I understood it because like I expected both to play and I, my thinking was they probably want a lob threat with the starting group and with the bench group, like you're going to have Rui Vando, you'll be able to get wood in there. Like you can have the like wingier group of guys switching and hedging and stuff. Whereas with the starting group, having Hayes more as the lob threat when you've got the two ball handlers out there and uh, like, he's a little bit better at, at like drop, I suppose, if you need to use him that way. Like in that sense, I understood it, but the level of play that we've seen from Hayes on the year certainly hasn't inspired a ton of confidence. I think like we're seeing him being used more as a role man recently, which is good for him. And and it's going to let him do stuff he's better at as we're seeing him hedge and, and switch we're seeing him kind of hold his own and be good at the things he's normally good at, or, or at least okay at. And he's doing fewer of the stuff he's things he's bad at, or at least in this game he didn't. But in those prior couple games when he was out there, they were using him like in drop coverage. They were using Christian Wood in drop coverage against Atlanta, and like it didn't work. <laughs> it wasn't working. So I don't know. With with Hayes over Wood, I got it. I'm fine with it. I understand Christian's probably not the most pleased, and I wouldn't like if you're upset with it. Like I, I get it as well. I think Wood's probably been better on the year. Um, I think it maybe fit knowing they play both. I think where they slotted each maybe fit a little better, but I don't know. I, I, I don't feel super strongly either way, but heading into that game, we had seen a huge stretch of games in a row where the team had had a really high play calling frequency where they had, let me, let me go through this stretch here. 55, 54, 49, 56, 57, 52, 54, 53, 66, 50, 47, 53, 53, 57 as the the percentage of their half-court plays where they ran organized offense. On the year, my kind of goal has been, hey, be above 50. And they were above 50 almost every one of those games. And when they weren't, they were just below it. Um, At this point, I think you should be aiming towards more like this third quarter of the season. You want to be aiming more for 55 instead of 50. You want to be, you know, showing some growth here. But then against Houston, they were at 43%. And the first half was good. The second half, 29% and 32%. Then against Atlanta, they were at 49%, but the first quarter was at 65, and then after that, it really dropped off. And so that is concerning to me. Even against Boston in the first half, they weren't at 50% either quarter, and then in the second half, they were exactly at 50%, and they were able to use some transition offense in the first half to help bolster what was just not good half-court offense. They're taking a step backward three games in a row in a way that is concerning to me from a long-term perspective, was concerning to me heading into the Boston game. I'm still concerned with leading, leaving the Boston game and, you know, can have some serious ramifications for the rest of the year. When the, when the team is, like, above 55%, they almost never lose. When they're, you know, between, like, 45, 55, they're pretty good. If they're below 45, like, they're not winning basketball games. And you had, like, one and a half games at that level in these past three. And that's that's concerning to me. But... I don't know. Getting back to Hayes and Wood, I got it, but it was more based on theory than what we had seen from Hayes so far this season. So I guess kind of transitioning into Vanderbilt, who has been excellent, not just this week, but the last couple weeks, basically since I'd say around the new year, been pretty good. 
and looked better at being disruptive, making defensive plays, you know, interceptions, tip balls, deflections, picking guys up full court the way he was last year and really pressuring the point of attack. Lakers are going to be without him now for a few weeks, and they've already been without Cam. It was on and off, touch and go there for a minute, and now they shut Cam down for a couple weeks. No Vando, no Cam. Lakers don't really have wing stoppers anymore. That's it. They're gone. Do you want Torian Prince or LeBron James as your or wing stopper? Rui, you know, we talked last episode about the overlap of defensive roles. Someone's got to change here. And not just point of attack where Cam was a lot, but the wing stopper role as well. That Vando has been taking up a lot of effort and energy from. So how, how does the, how does the team navigate through this stretch? And we don't know, you know, how long Vando will be out. It didn't look great, right? Non-contact injury, not a doctor or anything. Those never look good. Could barely walk back to the locker room. So, and maybe we, kind of frame this around possible trades and how we're thinking about how this team is building injuries are going to happen. This one has really thrown in a wrench into the Lakers development. So how how can they navigate through this with their rotation, Tim? Yeah, it's, it's going to hurt. And I know that my positioning recently has been like, I want Vander to play more. I don't necessarily agree. I want him in the starting lineup, but I think he's been kicking butt from an offensive fit standpoint with those bench groups where he can be the role man, he can use his short role playmaking. He can be the only non-spacer out there. Like that worked that all of a sudden he wasn't a detriment to the offense because he was in a context that he was being used well and he was being used in lineups where he was allowed to, to be positive. And then defensively we've seen on the year when he's in those groups that are playing drop, he's so much less disruptive than when he's in the switching and hedging groups because he's such a ball hawk weak side off the ball he can switch on to bigs and be fine he can switch on to guards and be fine he like if he's the one hedging he can be really disruptive so like he had fit really well with the the idea and the identity of that bench group and i wanted him to get more minutes but try to minimize the negative offensive impact you could have by him playing with ad where when that happens you know ad becomes more of a jump shooter neither of them get as many role looks you know vando is going to be more of a spot up guy uh, just like so much of what we like about both players, they do less or they do worse when they're with each other. And so trying to maximize that time was what, where I was hoping to see things. And this, there's a huge wrench in that. And, you know, whether you wanted him start to start or just play a lot and, and play more off the bench, like we can't see that anymore. And that disruption, that, you know, energy, it's, you've got to find ways to replace it. And some of the things he did, like you can, you can move other guys into those, like, running your post help beaters, having someone cut into the paint, you can have other guys that can do that. The defensive things that Vando does are harder to replace. And he was such a key piece to those bench units that were hedging and switching. As we look at, you know, from a role standpoint, offensive role, you're fine. You can replace it. Defensive role, how do you, like, where do you get that wing stopper? Because right now, if we look at how the team has used players, at the point of attack this season, you've got Gabe Vincent, who's injured, Cam Reddish, who's injured, and Max Christie. And then at Wingstopper, you've got Torian Prince and Vando, who's injured. So we've got Max and Prince left. You need more. And so what I'm expecting to see is I would expect to see more Reeves' point of attack, 
and then more Rui wing stopper time so that you still end up having like two guys in each of those roles, big picture. And I, what I want and what I expect to happen are two different things. And we talked about this before we hit record in terms of what I expect to happen. Like Rui's going to start now, right? Like, and, and actually, you know what? Let's, let's rewind a minute before the Boston game. What had been shared with a few individuals that that had come out later was they were expecting the Lakers to try that Vando starting. Yeah. And maybe that was them either. It could be two things. It was either they thought that Vando starting group that only played 32 minutes was like going to be a big step up and they needed to get it time. Or they looked at the current group and said, this can't work. And or probably a combination of those. But if they're looking at that starting group as is right now with D'Lo, Reeves and Prince and thinking this can't work, maybe we still will see a change. We might see no change. We might just see them plug Hayes in for Vando off the bench and offensively, like you're still the only non-spacer spacer out there. And, you know, defensively, you've got more size, you've got worse on-ball defense, but you just try to be bigger. But if they wanted to get Vando into the starting group and break up that current starting group, the way in which they will probably do it is I would expect them to, to put Rui in along with one of the lead guard ball handlers and then keep Prince in there as well. What what do you think? Yeah, that probably is the the path of least resistance with now I know what you would say, Tim. Mm-hmm. You would say no, the path of least resistance is starting Max Christie because that role slots in well or it kind of pushes people down to their natural, you know, more natural, more accustomed roles. But yeah. I'm in path of least resistance in the terms of kind of the thinking and logic that the team has operated with yeah you've, you've got your you've got your darfin hat on and i've got my my I got my hands on my ball iq hat on yeah and hopefully they align but in this case i don't think they will align. like i'm you're right like i would prefer to see max start because if we look at that group with Rui, all right if you've got we'll just say you've got reeves or i don't care who, who do you reeves or d'lo if they had to pick one of them who do you think would start i think should be d'lo uh, and if you want to close with Reeves, that's fine. Okay, I that makes feel sense. more comfortable with Reeves or with uh, yeah, with Reeves off the bench. Okay, so D'Lo, Prince, Rui, is D'Lo your point of attack defender? Because that no. I don't feel good about that. No. And if he's not, like Rui's not. Ru- Ru- that's not something Rui's going to do. So then we've got Tori and Prince playing point of attack, which is the role that he's sometimes played this year and has not done well with and. I understand there's, you know, part of the the vitriol towards him is he's playing too much and it's kind of an extension of him. But the things other than him, like starting poorly to shoot uh, this season from three, like what he's actually been bad at has been that point of attack defense. And it's, you know, to be expected, he's not good at that. But with this yeah. group, I think you have to ask him to do that. And then you've got D'Lo as a chaser. Rui is a wing stopper and we're kind of iffy there. Uh, and then you need like LeBron and AD to be able to clean things up on the back end. And like, I see this putting pressure on LeBron James as, as yeah. a helper, as a, you know, rotating defender. Cause Rui as a wing stopper, I'd expect to have a higher rate of breakdowns than Vando or Prince have had. He's a good, you know, he can rotate, he, but, but as an on-ball defender, Rui's not that guy. And then Prince at the point of attack he's going to have way more breakdowns from my perspective than, than a Max would or Vando would or Reddish would or Gabe would. And so you're going to have more, you know, leaks resulting in breakdowns that require rim protection. 
And AD is going to be able to clean up a lot of it, but there will be times where then LeBron needs to go help the helper and take AD's guy, or LeBron's the low man and he needs to rotate over. And as we talked about last pod, he's been the least active rotator among all helpers on the season that have played a thousand or more minutes. So I just think that group, when you think about the jobs that the individual players are asked to do, it doesn't fit in a way that mm-hmm. I think the, the, the Christie group fits so much more easily because then you can just have Christie as the point of attack guy, Prince as a wing stopper, D'Lo or Reeves as your chaser. And I think all three of those slottings make sense to me. And then offensively, you're fine. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify what we were kind of framing it around. Not so much what we want, but what we think is going to happen. I think it'll be really slotting in there. Do you think Jackson has kind of, you know, played himself back into the rotation long term? Or when he comes or when AD comes back, do you think he's going to go right back to that like 11th man spot? I'd expect Hayes to be able to play. If it, like let's assume like AD's playing against New York, I still think Hayes is going to have a chance to play. And the reason for that is in a way, he's competing with Jared Vanderbilt for minutes. Because if you're trying to, and we've seen the team make a conscious effort to try to stagger these poor shooters or non-shooters, the guys on this team that kind of fit that role are like AD, and he's, you know, he's actually hit some of the open ones. He's 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 sort of done okay. He's still in the like low 30s, I believe, from a percentage standpoint. Um, but him, Vando, and Hayes, those are like the three guys. With Vando not playing because he's injured, that opens the door back up for Hayes to play in the minutes that AD sits. So we might see like to, what is it, to start the second and fourth quarter, or the end of the first and third quarter, like AD is going to sit. That's where you might see Hayes get like two stints a game that are like four or five minutes each. So he might be like an eight to 10 minute per game guy only playing in those non-AD minutes, and that's it. And it's because Vando's out. And as soon as Vando's back, hopefully Vando's back quickly, then you, you know, you'd you rather have him in there than Hayes, and, and Hayes gets bumped out of things. But right now, if if AD's out, I think Hayes is going to continue to slot in and just be you know, trying to do his best to fill those big shoes. If AD is back, I do think we're still going to see some Hayes. And... It's going. He's going to be in those bench groups that may continue to try to be switchy and hedgy and have a lot of collective size, and that's an area, Tom, where I think there you're probably it's easier offensively for sure if you did start Rui and then have Christie off the bench. This is something you pointed out to me before we hit record. Do you want to talk the the listeners through that piece? Because I think you know not just the starters, but the, the bench fit and slotting is an important thing as well. It's, you know, the kind of guys you have now have to, they're limited, right? With the guards and then the wings. So Prince has to slide down into that guard rotation with Gabe out as well. Mm-hmm. And can't in, in terms of like defensively. So like you said, he's, he's moving into that guard position, uh, position defensively at the point of attack, takes up space for the second unit. So you have like Rui playing the guard because there's like Jackson, uh, LeBron, Wood, and then Rui next to him. So Rui's the guard, you know, or LeBron's a two guard. It mucks up the, the forward rotation, introducing another big. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The bench group that, with how I've set things up, you probably end up with is Reeves a point guard, Rui is your two, LeBron is your three, Wood is your four, and Hayes is your five. And you defensively have a lot of size, but against any sort of ball screen or off-ball screen that is involving like Rui defending as a two, you're, you're going to be switching everything, basically. And I think there's a way to make that work. It would be very unconventional. And it's so much easier if you, instead of Rui, you have Christy in there because then he can just kind of naturally defend a two, whether it's in a ball screen or just kind of one-on-one, right. on one, just yeah. in a nor- the, through the normal course of play, he's better equipped from a foot speed standpoint to stick with who, you, who his normal matchup would be, not any mismatch hunting or anything like that. And so that's an area where if you start Rui and then you've got Christy with these bench units, it, it's just easier to do. Yeah. Uh, offensively, you know, between Reeves and LeBron, I think you've got plenty of ball handling, playmaking. Like, I think there, Rui is a two. It's fine. He's just an off-ball shooter, basically, at that point. So I think offensively, that group would work just fine. But defensively, you would probably either need to play, like, zone or switch everything. And, you know, you know you're going to have some breakdowns on ball, but you are banking on the fact that one or two of Rui, Braun, Wood, and AD are going to be... I'm sorry, Rui, Braun, Wood, and Hayes will be behind you to defend the rim, which I'm interested in seeing, but I can... It's still very experimental from from my perspective. I have a feeling it may work and could work, and I'd like to see it tried, but at the same time, it's... I wouldn't be surprised if it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, you know what? This isn't... There's a, there's a reason teams play guards at the guard spots. Yeah. 
And Torian hasn't had a great couple games, but by no means is he, you know, the reason this team is losing. And I don't think he's going to get benched for better or worse. I think if anything, if you pray for him to get pushed down uh, to the two, you know what I mean? And not have to play. That's why people are calling for Vando to start. You know, I, I think Vando starting instead of Reeves, you know what I mean? It makes more sense than the old starting lineup. I'm curious at least to see it. Disappointed we couldn't, you know, get it in with the Vando healthy time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's I did a I did a bonus pod earlier this week where I, I looked at that group and I, I basically spent an hour digging into how did that group actually do. If you look and track everything, and here's what the shot quality was on offense, on defense, like here's where they did things that were sustainable, good, unsustainable, good, sustainable, bad, unsustainable, bad, and here's probably what. You know, with a time with a 32 minute sample, like the net rating means nothing, but I understand it's like plus 30 something. And, you know, people are excited about that and excited about the fact that last year it had a really strong net rating as well. Also on a small sample, a small enough sample that if you use the uh, free tool that Andrew Patton, who, who now works for the NFL, but uh, used to do work for us at B-Ball Index created that you plug in a lineup and you say, like, can I t- trust this this lineup's data, basically? Uh, statistically. And it it would say absolutely not for this year's lineup. And it would say the same thing for last year's lineup. And there was actually a ringer article about how lineup data can be misleading. And, you know, what it says has happened may not tell us what will happen. And it literally used the old starting group uh, as its example of here, like all of the ways in which this data is misleading. And uh, so I dug into that a bit, but I would still be willing to see the group. I don't think it was the answer. From digging mm-hmm. deeper into it, like there were things it was doing that just they're just flat out not sustainable. Like unless you think that group is going to be like one of the top tier rebounding groups and one of the top tier free throw rate groups on both ends of the court, and then also hit all of its threes, and then also the opponent miss all their threes. Like we're not going to see a net rating anywhere close to plus thirty. It's going to be like plus five, which is what the luck adjusted net rating for that group was last year. Like it, it might be okay. It's not. It's not like the magical fix. And from a I don't know. I, I, we're not going to get to see it anytime soon. But when we think about, can we see it? I still would like to see it at some point this year. And that's another piece of things we don't yet know, Tom. Hopefully we'll find out soon. And hopefully the the news is good news. But Vando's going to be out for a couple of weeks. That may be the full season. It, it sounds as though, from what uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reported, a season-ending surgery is still potentially on the table, depending on what they find exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, how, like we've we've talked, I guess, about some of the internal options, and Cam Reddish should be back around mid-February. That'll help. He would slot in, and there's an on-ball defender for you, Gabe Vincent. Probably not back soon, but should be back this season. And the only the only evidence to say he won't be back this season is trying to say that another Miami guard last year who also hurt his knee didn't come back. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think that's good process to say, well, he didn't. So this guy won't, but he's not going to be back in the next week or two. Of course. What like getting, I guess getting back from a, to a trade discussion standpoint, do you shift focus? If you are running the Lakers on trading for like an on ball wing or point of attack defender now, or do you wait to see what the Vando prognosis ends up looking like like how does that kind of factor into this because we've talked about maybe some short-term fixes both routes aren't stellar but they might be able to allow you to hold on long enough and I, i think it's worth noting the lakers 
from February on, they had like a top five matchup difficulty or top five, like strength of schedule after the Boston and the Knicks games, it actually falls down to being like 15th ranked. So it's, actually okay. a, it's a very manageable, like these two games are insanely hard. And you talked about that four game stretch that was insanely difficult collectively between the rest, the travel, the home away piece, yep. the, the caliber of the opponents. The On top of that, we've had the injuries. Like it's it truly is a really difficult four game stretch. The rest of the year is pretty manageable. So if the team can get, figure things out, it'll be an easier rest of the season than what we've seen them have to go through so far. So they can, if they get things, you know, they get healthy or they make a trade or what, whatever it is, if they can figure things out, they absolutely can get going, rise up the standings. Several of the teams just ahead of them in the standings have significantly harder strengths of schedule. So the season's not over. But if you were trying to help the team's odds and go that trader out, Tom, like, how do you think you'd be approaching that situation? I'm not sure how they're going to approach it. I really, I'm really not because one, I think the team's disappointed to this point of the season. I think the team feels disappointed. I think whether or not expectations were unreasonable, you know, or not, I think it's a disappointing outcome to be 500 after the success of the Western Conference Finals last year. Looking at, you know, them trying to do a smaller move like, not punting on Gabe because of, you know he's hurt. Just trying to get something for now, attaching some capital to you know he's a good player on a decent contract. Like just sending him away for another kind of guy who's playing right now is an option. I don't think they're going to take that one, but that's something more short short term. Are they going to really spend a first round pick to get Dorian Finney Smith? To have to trade D'Angelo Russell to get Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie or something. Give up a first-round pick in five years so that they can win three more games over the next six weeks. You know what I'm saying? Like, instead of going 10 and 11, you're, you know, 13 and 10. Is it worth it? it maybe. I mean, from a standing standpoint, maybe. To me, it, it, it depends on, like, how quickly is Fando back. That, that to me is a big variable here because if he's out for like three weeks, I, I don't think you make a move that is bad move or, or an over. I don't think you overpay to get a short term fix knowing that Vando is going to be back in a handful of weeks. And of course, he'll need to like ramp up and then get into playing shape and all that stuff. If he's out for the year, I think you probably look at it a little bit differently because you, you don't want to. You know, spend the assets, bring somebody in, and then you know you, you've got the chem, you know chemist build the period of building chemistry, and then they finally get going, and then oh crap, <laughs> you know a week later Vando's back, and now we need to bench one of you. What do we do? Or somebody else? What do we do? And now you have like like too many guys, and you would rather like have consolidated and have you know better players. But at that point, the trade deadline has passed, and that that might be what you do if like you end up making a deal where you move. D'Lo and Rui and JHS and a first round pick or something like that to get Dinwiddie, who I prefer less than D'Lo, to get Dorian Finney-Smith, who kind of fills the Vando hole, and to get maybe Royce O'Neal, who would be a Rui type guy from a slotting standpoint. And then Vando gets healthy, and now you have like too many guys. And you know it's a good problem to have, but if I, I don't know that it's necessarily 
I, I think it's a move they're less likely to make if Vando isn't out for the season. If he is out for the season, you may swing for the fence a little bit more because you know you don't have enough. And you may, you know, think about what that risk is. You know, what's what's a first round pick five years from now worth versus how much does this help our title odds right now? And what is kind of the the potential variance baked into this move? If it's we know we're marginally improving and it doesn't move the needle big picture. Eh, but if it's a move that has some upside and you think without it, you're not going to have that chance to compete the way that you would if Vanda were healthy and you were going to get back at some point. I don't know. I I, th- I can see that being compelling. I feel like I keep talking myself in circles because I think this team can be better than what they've been. I think that's partly on the players, partly on Ham, of course. You know what I mean? But not, neither of those parties seem to be going anywhere. And I, I keep saying maybe they do. They need a trade. They got to move. They need a consolidation. Something. You know, that's that's where I was landing last week. You know, I like Rui. Uh, his offensive skill set fits the least uh, in this group right now. They have the least need for him, and they can't really keep him on the court on defense. So throwing something in like that, I still think D'Angelo Russell could be one of the better players you could hope to get from this year's trade deadline. It's kind of a you know a lower caliber of players available. You know, you saw Terry Rozier get traded, some smaller stuff like Stephen Adams got moved for picks. So not much going down with a week left. You know, usually you start to see stuff start to pop off a little bit more by now. So I don't really, I don't know. There's still reports of the Lakers and the Hawks. Still sounds like the Lakers don't want to give up Austin Reeves. Kind of at a stalemate there. If If they fold and are down to give up D'Lo. You know what I mean? Again, weekly DeJounte Murray trade check-in. How are you feeling this week about it? I, this week, as of this moment right now, I think it won't happen because on the Lakers side, I don't see them caving and giving Reeves. And on the Hawks side, I don't see them trading DeJounte Murray, who theoretically is a really good fit next to Trey Young is someone that their head coach has openly kind of, you know, wanting to been wanting to keep and things fits well, has been playing well recently and they have under contract for years. Like he's not a bad, he's a good player. They have under contract for years. They like they're, they're Batna. If we're going to get back to uh, a term we used last year around the trade deadline, that best alternative to a, a negotiated agreement. It's not, Oh no, if we don't make a trade, he walks this off season. That's what it is for D'Lo. Potentially, is if they right. don't have him, and if you don't win a title this year, like he might be gone, that asset might be out the door, and so this could be a an asset management move, in addition to being hopefully an on court improvement for Atlanta. You don't worry about that. He's not like open. Like I understand that he's he's said some things on like Instagram, but like it's not to me like an untenable situation that they they can't fix or like he's under contract for a while. They just signed an extension with him not too long ago. He hasn't even begun those years of the extension. So this is one where they have no reason to like make a move just to make a move or sell for, you know, 70 cents on the dollar from their perspective. And if you're the Lakers, if you move Austin to get to Jante, that's not really solving your, your asset management issue with D'Lo in the first place. And so for you, from your perspective, it's not really fitting what you want to do. So on both sides, I don't like, I see what they'd want. I see probably what they're willing to do. 
And I don't think that there's an overlap uh, among like the, the maximum values that they're willing to give up to make this happen. And for that reason, I don't expect it to happen unless either the Lakers are lower than on Austin than they appear to be and have been telling people they are, or Atlanta is deciding that they, they don't think what DeJounte is doing is sustainable from his shooting or, and, or they think the situation is untenable from a like fit and uh, like off court or even on court, but like, you know, his, his desire to be there standpoint. Yeah. Even if you could trade Dila for DeJounte, I think to your point, it's like a misdiagnosis of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if DeJounte wanted to be out of there, they definitely could have been making way more noise about this. So sure, if he were truly disgruntled and was trying to force his way out, it wouldn't look like this at this point. So I don't see Atlanta caving for that reason. And for, from what you just said, like I agree with what you just said on the Lakers side, this isn't really solving the problem that you're potentially looking to, to solve. Right. So I just, I don't see this one happening. So I think the most likely outcome is the Lakers trying to trade like Rui in a first for like Dorian Finney-Smith or something like that. And you can argue whether or not that's a good deal or a bad deal, but it would be more of an on-ball defender and somebody who in some previous seasons has been a better three-point shooter. And that might, you know, help them short term. And then if they've got Vando back, they, you know, they're, they're still, it's not like they have too many players or something like that, but I would expect maybe a smaller move of that type of nature to be what we're looking at. And it could be impactful, but at the same time, it's not going to be like, oh, this is the move that makes the Lakers title favorites that you, you won't see that from this deadline for the Lakers. It seems like the Lakers did serious discussions with both the Bulls and the Hawks, at least from reporting. And they decided they didn't like what they were being asked of. And I appreciate that they didn't make a bad trade as of yet. So no, no trade is a good move as of right now, I think, instead of a bad trade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there's so much, like when we evaluate front offices on the decisions they did make, that's only a small percentage of the de- decisions available to them. There are ones that they turned down. There are ones that they turned down in order to make the ones that they made. Like, they may have had trades on the table that they could have said yes to at this point that might have been good deals. We don't know. They might have been bad deals, and we don't know. And so it's it's really hard to say that they're managing it well or managing it poorly uh, at this point because there's there's just so little info that's publicly available. And you know, so far they haven't done something dumb. They haven't done something great. We don't know what they had the opportunities to do, but you know, we've only got another week here before this group is is pretty much locked in for the rest of the season. Barring, you know, they might be able to go after a buyout guy. We might see the Lakers look to cut some payroll just to get under the the tax to avoid that repeater tax. Um, so, you know, smaller moves along those lines may be what we see from them as well. And that might look something like trying to get off of Gabe and get somebody who can play now, but then also makes less money so that you can avoid that that tax. There's also, well, I guess I should mention before we totally move on from trades, Bruce Brown. Is another name that's been brought up a few times, both here and in, in reports. I don't love it for D'Lo personally, but I, I do like Bruce Brown and his fit around superstars as an off-ball player and like a versatile defender kind of guy. So, you know what I mean? I, I think he'd be a great kind of championship level player for the Lakers. I see him plugging one hole and like opening another in, in the playmaking 
drop off from D'Lo. And so that's why I'm not enthused about that option. I do think he's a good player. I think he had really solid fit lineup wise and scheme wise with like it, with Indiana, with Denver in terms of the, the spacing around him and or the, the lob threat stuff, like the scheme, the up-tempo, the, you know, passer and Jokic in Denver. Like he's, he's been in some good environments that I think are really good at optimizing him. I think he may be taking a small step back joining the Lakers in that regard, but still is a, a solid guy that I think would make a lot of sense. Definitely on defense offensively, he's not the best three point shooter and you worry about that piece. And that would be the concern with bringing him in, but is good at things and is just a strong defender that you kind of hope for Vando type impact, hopefully with, you know, lower negative impact than Vando on the offensive end, which is what he's been able to deliver throughout his career. So yeah, somebody I'd be open to in theory, but moving D'Lo for him just with the lack of playmaking on this roster is that's why it's really tough. Whereas the, the Brooklyn route, if you bring Dinwiddie back, Again, I don't love it, but you get playmaking back, and that's really helpful. So if you if you do go the Brown route, like I think you do, then need to go pursue some other playmaker. Or if, like if you could get Kyle Lowry off the you know in the buyout market, that would immediately resolve that concern that I have as well. Yeah, there hasn't been a lot of I don't know obvious buyout candidates. I feel like this year doesn't really I don't know the buyout market doesn't seem to be quite there but there's always names that pop up and that happens a little bit later in the season anyway so Kyle Lowry but would be an interesting name to add to a team for you know mid to, midway through the season for free it's he's a, a spot player kind of could fit into that Rondo mold of that 2020 team yeah like he's definitely still passed the ball he defensively has been really impactful just because he's such a like a crafty smart Gun charges, charge sort of guy. They're not going to stay in front all that well, but as a just like a help rotating defender, he's such a. I hate. I would hate playing against him. I hate when my team plays against him because he gets like one or two of those a game. It seems like he's yeah. He's he's found ways to stay relevant even as a smaller guy, even as a guy who's aging a bit. So yeah, dude, I'd be I'd be thrilled to have him join the team for free. Is the is the big piece there? If he were someone the team's trading for and he makes twenty million dollars, like. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. But for free, it's really challenging to like not not be a fan there. I don't know. Have you heard any other buyout names? I haven't. I can't really think of many. <sighs> no, I don't. I don't. Not. I haven't been paying. I haven't been seeking those names out. But I have not I, been presented. I've not seen those names. Just kind of scrolling yeah. through Twitter, or listening to people, hearing broadcasts. Like it hasn't been something that's really come up yet at least that I've been listening to. And I think part of that is that there just haven't been that many trades to my point where, you know, Kyle Lowry's situation completely changes. He's on a big contract at a big number, you know, at a place he's not going to get a lot of playing time. That's where it makes the most sense. So these people are created over the next week in the trades, you know, these situation, you know, juxtapositions are created in the next week or so. So maybe more names become available, but you know, is Mac Biombo's a free agent? Is that changing your season? No, I think he could help. I think a drop big, at least run some minutes. But Jackson mm-hmm. Hayes coming in, being able to be more impactful, might be, you know, more the realistic option at this point. Yeah, or if you're thinking, hey, Woods not getting the job done, we'd rather 
rectify what we may see as a mistake and go get Miyambo, that's that's an available option if you wanted to. You're, you're going to lose that potential spacing threat, but whether it's Hayes or Wood, I, I think you probably lose one of the two of them to grab Biombo. I don't think it makes sense to have both of them and Biombo and AD. I mean, you could do it, but I don't that's know. That's fair. Well, I, if it were 2K, I'd do it. Uh, I don't know yeah. if in real life there is willing to, you know, have to spread the minutes around in that sort of way. But yeah, I don't like generally buyouts will look like overplayed payer, overpaid player traded to a bad team. And that bad team is getting like draft assets along with obtaining the bad player or the good, the, the, the player that's overpaid. And then they don't want to play them. They don't want them to play and take minutes over some younger guys. And they know that they're like old enough for their contract is such that they're not really, you know, a long-term asset either to try to flip or to try to keep and integrate. And so they decide just to like buy that player out. And then, you know, that guy can go pursue whatever he wants. And then maybe the team gets out of having to actually pay them some of that money. So to your point, like we're probably going to have to see some trades take place before those situations come up. Cause right now I, I don't really think anybody, maybe I'm missing somebody, but nobody comes top of my, maybe like a Gordon Hayward, but I don't, I don't think that would happen. Right. But yep. like someone like that players on the last year, of their contract or something, mm-hmm. or, you know, just the role hasn't fit. Sometimes it's a young player too, getting squeezed out when a two for one was made and they, you know, their team have the two and somebody gets cut. It's probably better than, you know, getting cut stuff like that. So I don't know, man, I think the options right now for the Lakers and I, and I brought, the, I meant to bring this up before, but again, again just re, attributing LeBron's energy bar toward defense. Like LeBron absolutely needs to be an impactful defensive player for the Lakers over the next month or so with Vando out with cam recovering, you know, at least to get Rui a chance to get his legs under him again and get back into to shape after missing time on and off the whole season, or they give Rui more of a chance there. And that has to work. Something has to work there at the wing position. And it might not be pretty for a while. Yep. And again, I believe in Max Christie. It doesn't appear Darwin Ham does. <laughs> and Tommy might be between the two of us. I don't know if you're as high on him as I am, but no, I I'm very much willing to live through the the youthful mistakes for what Max can provide this team because he has like actionable NBA skills right now at the point mm-hmm. of attack, spotting up extending some plays like yeah i'll live with the bad to get the good he can bring as well yep and you know with a starting group that has one of delo and reeves and then lebron and ad the job is offensively like limited in a way where you should minimize the mistakes he's going to make you're not going to need to see him iso you're not going to need him to see him run ball screens or operating off of handoffs now he's going to do it sometimes but it's going to be a really really small part of his his scoring diet whereas when he is off the bench or he is in these deeper bench units he's being asked to do things that he's not as good at right now and so he will be worse and his impact data will be worse and he's going to be less effective but if we look at something i i you know, along with the energy bar thing, Tom, another one of your, your Tomisms is like cutting the fat out of a guy's uh, mm-hmm. a guy's game. For him, you know, if you're looking at like, oh, if he's an external player that you're looking at acquiring, hey, you know, this guy has had to be, you know, pick and roll player, a handoff guy, ISO guy. He's not good at that. 
but he's been really, really good as a spot-up player, catching and shooting or attacking a closeout, and he plays good defense. He slots into a role. Like, that guy sounds like what we should be wanting. And they have that guy internally. And it's not just theory. It's not, well, I think, but, like, he's actually shown it. So, but Tim, right there. But, Tim, when he makes mistakes, they're really dumb mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so that makes you mad. And it makes you angry at that person. And they're or the, spiteful. I think I can't play you. And I'm sure in practice, he's probably showing more of those mistakes because he's he's in these deeper like they're probably playing starters against bench for a lot of the scrimmage stuff. And he's out there being set up by like Cam Reddish and needing to run the show and be the point mm-hmm. guard. And he probably doesn't look nearly as good as as he will in the the lineups that you're realistically in practice probably aren't prioritizing him to get time with. So if they're seeing more mistakes than you or I have had the opportunity to see, because we're only watching them, you know, the games that are televised and, and count, I, you know, wouldn't at all be surprised by that. I, and the same with LeBron. Like, I don't think LeBron is playing against this guy in practice, able to beat him in the same ways consistently feels confident in sending him out there next to him. Like mm-hmm. I have no, you know, reporting of course, or anything on this. It just feels like LeBron doesn't trust him on a, you know, a big stage out there on a consistent basis. Yeah. And it's been more like the, the, the reddishes and the Vandos, the guys that are going to give LeBron and D'Lo and Reeves and some of the other guys, like some fits in practice that, you know, they're not in practice. You're not really like, <laughs> we're going to leave Vando alone. And you're not really like scheming stuff up, but against real teams, you, th- th- those defenses will. And so like the, the negative offensive impact of those individual players in practice that you experience and you're playing against, you're you're going to see in a different way than when you actually put it out there on the court. So I don't know. It's an interesting thread to pull on and, and try to look through that lens as a way to rationalize and maybe better understand some of the decisions we have made or some of the the degrees of confidence between the staff and the players for for their teammates. But we're just speculating. No no inside info here. Yeah, I think that's all we got for today, Tim. I'm going to be back at least for stream tomorrow against the Knicks. We're recording this uh, Friday evening. And so I'll be on for that one at least. Let's. Uh, I will as well, I believe. Yeah, I, I should it. be available yeah. for that. Awesome. So join us on Playback if you're listening to this as a pod. Thank you for those listening on Playback right now. As always, if you want to get in our Discord, hit us with a screenshot. You're subscribed to our YouTube. DM that to myself, Tim, or the pod account. We'll get you in there. You can learn how to get your, you know, our our bonus pods and be a part of our tiered uh, Discord. But there's the free yeah. option as always as well. Yeah, lots of good free stuff. Lots of good conversation. Um, I don't know if you saw this. We had a little bit of a recent purge for uh, there was a handful of uh, troublemakers, some some albatross contract individuals that uh, it did. Yeah, the, it's it's been. A better conversation, I think, recently. We, we've removed some of the toxicity that uh, bubbled up here and there. And uh, it's I think it's been a, a better community for that. And we'll continue to continue to monitor things. And if you know somebody slips in there that we shouldn't be, we can, we can get them out again. But I uh, want to shout out the folks that are in there. Uh, TJ, Timothaji, Leo, and Green Blue at the arena sponsorship level. And then Zach Harris, Q-Daddy-O, iPod Shuffle, Omar, Romario, Keneal Mason, and Shabugan in the owner's box. The courtside lower bowl crews as well. There's, you know, the film room sessions, the X's and O's course material, the bonus pods, 
those lower tiers continue to grow and grow and grow in size. If you want to get up to those higher tiers, you get more access to channels, more access to content, more access to, to you know, more, uh, I don't know, it, I don't want to say like intimate discussions, but like more access to me, I suppose. Um, you can check all of that out. Check out the link in my bio. I believe in your bio as well. I believe the pods bio as well. Uh, and you can see what's available in the different tiers. And, you know, as, as Tom said, you can get in there for free. You don't have to pay to to be able to join that community and enjoy the games with us in there if you're not able to join the, the stream or enjoy it with some of the people in there, if not on the stream. But please do join the streams. We love to uh, chat with you. It's hard to have both windows pulled up at the same time. We, we got to get to a point. I think Playback's working on it to integrate those at some point. But they've got some cool new tools that they're rolling out that I'm excited to try out here in the uh, the new f- near future. And we'll begin that with the uh, quest tomorrow against the New York Knicks, which will be a tough one. But if you can win yeah. that game, man, wins against Boston and New York with a much later rest of the season schedule and uh, possibly a trade to kind of boost, you know, infuse some energy could be, could be exciting times or they could lose. And then Boston was just that one off. So we, we shall see. It's a big game tomorrow. Yeah. So far they're two and two on this road trip and could be really good, really bad. Again, we're on the good vibes, bad vibes, roller coaster. but thanks for joining as always friends. We will talk to you all next time. Peace. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done